I'm back on modified duties, so I can still go into work on shift and they have just adjusted workload for me. Um, yeah, so far so good. We'll just, uh, we'll see what the MRI says, surgery or no surgery. That's going to be the real deciding factor. How did you get started in the podcast? Was that just one day during the pandemic? You said, all right, let's start this. <laughs> uh, no, I was, when I went into the training division in the fire department I'm with, uh, just through teaching a bunch of recruit classes, a couple of people had mentioned something about, Hey, you should write a book or, you know, you should do a podcast. And it really wasn't anything that was ever on my radar. Uh, I lived very close to work, so I didn't have that long drive where I was looking to fill it with, um, you know, other content other than music. Um, and then I did move about an hour away from work and, uh, it all kind of just aligned where a friend in town, um, uh, from, you know, back from high school days, uh, lived in the same town and in his studio, or sorry, in his basement, in his house, he has a studio. So, um, it all kind of collided where I started listening to podcasts and looking for fire related ones and, uh, found a couple of non-fire related ones. I really like the sound of and, and the, the, how they approach things, how articulate they were, the great stories. Uh, and then there was kind of like no excuses. So it was all there in front of me and I figured I would just try it and see how it worked out and try with start with friends and people I knew and it kind of just progressed. That's amazing. And the stories, you know, I've listened to multiple calls and yeah, you just, you never know what people actually go through. Um, we just see one, one spectrum fireman or first responder that you don't know um, up here and here, you know, we oftentimes can lose touch of humanity. Yeah, I was thinking about that leading up to us talking about how it's, yeah, it's been interesting to overlay and humanize um, a viewpoint uh, with all these unique stories that is integrated with a, a common story that everyone has for that industry, right? And I'm sure it's common amongst, a, a, you know, it, it opens up your mind to realize probably every industry is like that. We probably have an idea, a very Cole's Notes template for what other people are. And we think they're all the same way until, you know, you get deeper in and you realize that's not, nece not necessarily the case. There's a common arc, I believe, that runs through each of us in the role. That's why we're there. But, uh, yeah, how we all got there is is really interesting to me. It's crazy that you know the things that often scare us and hurt us is something that we're also very interested in understanding more of and gravitate back to so instead of running the other way now we're saying okay let's go ahead on and understand why this is happening and maybe we're not alone in this and maybe we can communicate it with others for someone that's out there listening searching for a podcast like multiple calls to say huh Okay, I found what I needed. And uh, mm -hmm. there's other gals and guys out there that um, deal with the same thing I do. When you look back at it all, would you have created this podcast if you hadn't gone through darkness? That's a very interesting question. Perhaps, but maybe I would have approached it in a different way. Uh, there are a lot of different firefighting podcasts, and some of them are very technical or very tactic-related Um or just mindset towards perhaps training, uh, that kind of focus where, yeah, I don't think the main focus of the podcast is 
struggles, but it definitely is a common theme throughout because I believe we all do have struggles that we go through. Um, and, and perhaps it is pretty common that, you know, people don't come into the job as blank slates. I think there's that's a misunderstanding even within the service that we think people that join when they join the job that they come in as a blank slate and then the job affects them. The job definitely adds things to what you're already dealing with and it may exacerbate things. But we all have, you know, a journey to that moment where we join the job. So, yeah, I think that all comes together to realize that there's a lot more to each firefighter than we, than we think. Um, and yeah, my own, my own journey, I think that's why I got into doing peer support within my own department and talking to people and really doing that introspection and, and the personal work. Uh, yeah, I think that all led up to it being definitely something that I want to change the view of people and how the, especially within the industry. Um, and I think it's generational too. I think as generations change, mindset, minds, mindsets change, things open up. We have different viewpoints and, and I feel like I straddle both generations, kind of like an older school generation and a new school generation. Um, and most recently through all this work that I've been doing, I think I've come to realize that the extremes aren't healthy. And there's a middle ground where, you know, from that stoic old school mentality of we just need to suck it up and get it done, that that still exists because there are moments where you need to do that to do your work. But we also need to overlay that with the understanding that we need to have self-love and self-compassion, self-care, uh, and then, you know, compassion, love and care for people and connecting. And uh, that closing off barrier building between us to try and protect ourselves or just get the job done. I think we're actually better off if we're able to draw in and lean into the connection with people. I think it makes you a better first responder and, and it makes it easier for you to process the calls afterwards as opposed to pushing them away. But when you started, was there coping mechanisms out there for you to deal with some of the, well, it's, it is PTSD that you you faced? Yeah, I think PTSD at the extreme end of things, uh, you know, the the odds of someone being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder are actually small. A lot of things have to line up for that to occur. More often, we're going to be dealing with post-traumatic stress, which, you know, a lot of people in the general public deal with as well, just experiencing traumatic situations. But obviously with the volume of things that we would go to, we have, an, I guess, an increased chance of, we're going to experience post-traumatic stress a lot more often, a lot more times in a career than maybe the, the general population would. Um, my department had a peer support team since 94 and I got a 98. So they really were on the sort of the leading edge of um, making it known to everybody in the service that it was available. Um, I also ended up, you know, aligning with a lot of people that were very open and empathetic. And I think were, you know, what I term as a connected warrior, someone that's connected with themselves, connected with other people, connected with the job, have been able to, you know, in that yin yang way, marry up that, that stoicism that's required sometimes with the openness and vulnerability that's also required. 
So, and I've, I've always been a very, you know, sensitive, um, empathetic kind of person. So I was always sort of seeking that out personally. Um, my family was very loving and, and very open with, you know, dialoguing about, you know, how we were feeling and how we were experiencing things. So I think I already came in with the, not the need, but just the understanding that that was the way that life was. So I think I found those people that were aligned in that same way. I made use of the resources we had. I had a counselor very early on. Um, you know, and, and despite that, I, you know, I still had my, again, I've had my struggles, but again, I don't think the, the awareness of your mental health or, or or even mental illness, the education that you can gain from all of that prevents you necessarily from struggling. It just gives you um, a better chance of getting through it. Was it talked about when you had started mental health and did individuals, I guess, communicate in different manners rather than saying, I need help, I'm struggling? Yeah, I guess I didn't in general experience that we don't talk about that stuff here kid i didn't have that experience and like i said the peer support team already existed um i ran some difficult calls you know very very early in my career and we were already doing structured post-incident discussions about them with crews and uh so i got to experience watching other people open up and dialogue about it and acknowledge that things were dif were difficult I did obviously experience it was, there was a bit of a disenchantment and disillusionment that I, you know, like someone on the outside would have a vision like, oh, all firefighters are like X. They're all kind of cut from the same cloth. And I was young. I was 23. And now at 47, with all my, you know, years on experience just in life in general, you realize that every industry is the same and, and not everybody's in it for the right reasons. You're going to meet different people that necessarily don't belong. So but when I was younger, when I first got on, I think I was disillusioned, disenchanted early on. Like, oh, I thought everyone was going to be like this and they're not. But they were, a, I guess, a minority group of, you know, that, with that mentality. And I think the majority of the department was very good at acknowledging uh, that aspect of the job and helping each other through it. Was it over time where you realized I'm not okay, or was it a certain incident that happened where that was your breaking point in terms of seeing something, hearing something, feeling an emotion, especially people that are empaths like ourselves, you know, it's, um, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. And, uh, thank you for your service and much respect, my friend. No, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I, I, as, when I talk about mental health, you know, as of late as well, I'm sort of speaking about the idea that people think, well, when I leave work, I leave work at work. And what I've brought forward is that we don't ever hear anybody say I leave home at home. And so that idea, I think that flipping the script makes people realize that we're living a fluid existence and your brain doesn't know whether you're at work or whether you're at home. And you don't have a switch that you can just flip that I'm going to compartmentalize this portion of my life and it's not going to have any effect. So for me, it was really a combination of like, I believe I was always struggling even as a child and with generalized anxiety. I don't think that was now looking back. I don't think it's something that came on after the job. Again, speaking to the fact that I wasn't a blank slate when I entered into the job. So, you know, there was history from childhood that 
you know, cause that to occur. And then I didn't recognize it until later on though. So I think the job and things in my personal life together, I, I wouldn't be able to sort of pull them apart and say which one was the, the breaking point or how they all added up what the math was the algorithm. Um, I just think there was, a, yeah, there was a moment where I'm like, okay, there, there is enough here and I definitely need to speak to a professional about it. Um, and then found my counselor and, and they've, you know, I've had the same counselor for 17, 18 years now. Good for you. Yeah. And there's that stigma around counselors, therapy, psychologists, psychiatrists. I think we're moving past it, but I still think there is out there. Yeah. I think what is relieving to people now too, is we're understanding that talk therapy isn't the only solution. There's somatic therapies, right? There's, uh, you know, obviously we're getting more into psychedelic therapy. Um, so I've done ketamine assisted psychotherapy. I went through six sessions of that and that was a real game changer for me. Uh, and psychother uh, psychotherapy, like talk therapy was part of that. It doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, just the ketamine treatments alone in that clinical setting, uh, were a real game changer. And it's nice to see that maybe people that aren't as, I wouldn't say necessarily that the fact that they're not open to it is the the issue that keeps it from being beneficial. But I guess to say to everyone that talk therapy is beneficial to every single person is, again, trying to paint an issue with one common brush where it's nice to see that we're discovering all these other avenues for people to, you know, work through and process and release, you know, and refresh and, um, and build up their uh, resilience and their resistance. I know uh, a gal, she just did ayahuasca, I think last year. Yeah. She said that changed her life. Ayahuasca, I've heard, you know, we've, well, we've seen Mike Tyson do DMT with the frog. <laughs> and, and you hear about these things and you see the outcome of that person, of who they were before and what they are today. Yeah, so drugs like that, like drugs in general, have never been something for me that I've been fond of just taking them and being out in public. For me, the psilocybin was very intentional. I had, and I'm very much not a fan of, I mean, the ketamine is obviously a, a chemical drug, but that's what's done in the clinic. That was done in a clinical setting. So yeah, but as far as any other drug, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a fan of anything chemical because I can't trust what's in it. For me, stuff like marijuana or psilocybin or natural products that I can look at and see and know what they are and you know had and i waited until later in life until i tried things like that i i didn't wasn't into it as a teenager so i think i had the maybe i had that worry too that it would be uh you know have some negative effects and you know and actually you're not supposed to even marijuana and these drugs are you know you're not supposed to use them until after you're 25 because your prefrontal cortex isn't completely developed yeah so it can cause developmental issues in that sense. So, you know, having waited, I think I'm, I didn't know that at the time, but I think that was a good thing too. Um, I think the more you look into it and you read and you educate yourself about it, then you can make an educated choice. And I think these kind of drugs and in the right doses and in the right, it's all about set and setting who's with you, right? To have someone you trust, you're in a space that you trust, you know, why you're doing this, you know, how much you're taking. It's all very calculated. You know, and the risk is low if you look at the, you know, the effects of 
stuff like psilocybin and, and marijuana, you know, the, the side effects, the chances it's going to be bad are very low. So all that in place and then going in with the right intention, I guess all I could say is I think it's, it's more about removing layers that are maybe hindering you than a fact that it's going to change the core of who you are. I think it's more of discovering the core of who you are if it's done in the proper way. So it's not about going out and getting high and watching a movie with your buddies, right? It's different than that. What was your breaking point like for the listeners? What was your story? How did you end up where you are here today speaking? How did it happen? So you you were fireman. Life is going by. And what happened? Yeah, I, I also did uh, worked as a medic part-time for six years. After I'd already joined the fire service, I went back to school full-time and then I uh, became part-time medic and did that for a time too. So I was kind of doing both jobs and there was a bit of extra layering of obviously calls it might be on uh, that may have had an effect. But for me, like, again, like I, I sit, like I can't nail it down to like, this is the moment that where it all happened. I think it's a, it's a um, compounding over years of things coming together. And then there's, then, like you said, there's a breaking point. I'd had some issues with some calls, but I wouldn't really, you know, say that that was the breaking point for me. It was more personal. It was the, I, I did a YouTube video for the uh, mental health commission of Canada about this. Um, and for the, for the listeners, what, what exactly is that YouTube video about? Uh, yeah, it's about this, this, this exact issue that it was more for me, it was a relationship ending. Um, that was, I would say, would be the breaking point. That's the moment where I guess it, the the last straw, or everything sort of washed over me, and um, and I didn't want to be on the planet anymore. So you know, I don't think just the relationship alone, like a relationship ending, like maybe that is the fact case for that for some people, but that necessarily isn't always the you know. For me, I don't think it was the thing. If that was the only thing, I think there was a combination of things, and that just happened to be the one thing that happened. So. Um, yeah, I, I had made a decision and there was a plan not to be here anymore. And, uh, and in the video I describe actually, you know, walking down this, uh, you know, winter path, you know, planning on getting into the water and not coming out again, right. Just letting the sort of the cold take me over and passing someone on the trail. And they said something just benign and, and kind, like, you know, great. It's a nice day, isn't it? Or isn't it a beautiful day? And I, I don't know why, but maybe I think that just shook me out of what I was in. And I had a, a sort of a crossroads moment and I turned back and I walked back and checked myself into the hospital. So I ended up spending a week there and then that led to me and my counselor and, and the journey out of that. So, you know, we do talk about kindness and I think you posted a lot about it and so do I that you never know when you're kind to someone what, what they're going through in that very moment and what kind of effect that's going to have. And for me, that's a powerful reminder even like deeply personally of how that had an effect on me um yes yeah, so for me i think that was the moment that was the turning point uh, but i think it was a lead up of a lot of things to that moment well it totally changed you being here today you know and life said we're not done with you scott you have a message you have something to do here and uh because sure head out but who else will take over? Who's going to give a message to the next generation, to the people that need it? And uh, like, like you've taken care of yourself. Every day is a journey. It's never going to be perfect. 
Yeah, I think that's important for people to realize too, is just because you do quote unquote the work, it's not like you do the work and then you're done and that you're good forever. The work is always the work. And for me, like I, I don't think I'm going to eliminate generalized anxiety or, or having to face the fact that there's depression there, but um, you learn how to manage it and cope. And so to, to, I would never ever say to anybody that I don't have dark moments, dark days, uh, those same feelings maybe wash over, over me sometimes, but they're, they're fewer and farther between and they're shorter lived. Perhaps that's the best way to put them. Um, and you, you have moments, but then you persevere and push through. And the more you do that, as you do anything and get better and better and better at it, I think you realize when those dark moments hit that you will come out the other side. And I've also had the respect perspective of realizing, cause I remember saying when I sort of came out of that, well, I was in this dark hole and I promised myself I would never go back there again. I had this naive thought like, okay, well that was the bottom. I'll never go back there again. And then, you know, year, you know, years, fast forward years later, I found myself back in that same emotional place. Is it thoughts that take you back there or is it the environment? I think it's, it's just your, yeah, your life in general, whatever's going on at the moment. And, and it would be, it would be both. So for yourself, was it, Oh, a new relationship and now it's ended. Yeah. It could be a brand new pattern. It doesn't always have to be that exact same pattern, but I guess what I'm, what I'm driving at is that I initially, my initial thought was, Oh, the, all the work I did didn't, didn't take, it didn't work. I'm back here again. But then I realized I quickly, my mind shift changed you know, after, because of all the work I've done and I came up and out of it very quickly. So my, I guess my message to people is the only time you'll know when the work has actually worked is not in good times because you're not having to tap into it. The only time you'll ever know if, if you've changed for the better or you've made, you know, all this work has paid off is that when you're put in that, a, a new deep, dark place or something very similar, and then you you may feel the same way, but cognitively you don't look at it the same way and you come out of it in a, in a different way because you're a different person. So like for me, that was a realization like, oh, all the work has actually worked. So it was an it was a reassurance to me. And then that, I guess, strengthened me moving forward to whatever else I may face. So we don't have to see it necessarily as a relapse or a failing or it was all for naught because that experience shows you if it's worked or not. When you're anxious now, what do you do? do you, is it breathing techniques? Is it, what, do you, what, what exactly do you do to kind of calm the nerves? Yeah, I, I try and tap into as many things as I can. Um, it's funny that, you know, that dark moment, that dark day I was telling you about wanting to get into the cold water. And now here I am learning that, you know, cold showers and cold immersion and cold exposure is a, is a healing process. And I've, I've, you know, quote unquote, you know, no pun, pun, in, pun intended, I guess, uh, dove into that world. So, uh, I think it's learning really the terms of like regulating your nervous system. That's really what it is, right? You're dysregulated and you have to regulate your nervous system again, or vagal tone. Again, we have all these, this knowledge, this awareness now of, what, of how we can get back there. So definitely for me, it would be physical movement. Um, and there's a lot of times where I exercise, uh, when I don't want to, I don't feel like I, you know, I just like, yeah, I'm like, I, and you're in that place and you're like, I don't want to. And it's like, well, I, but I've got in this habit of like, well, I'm going to go and do what I don't want to do. Well, there's 
there's comfort in discomfort and there's lessons learned through yeah so uh, you know i do yoga regularly every, every other day um you know uh, there's there's sports that are outside uh, i do a lot of body weight stuff um and you know and then the cold showers and then obviously talking to people right and then learning what i can manage on my own and what i need to share with others and and talk through in a healthy way so and i think it's just self-awareness and sitting with it and not pushing it away and letting it just inviting it in and knowing it, that it will pass um even though it feels every single time like it won't right your your emotions are yeah your emotions are always telling you that this is this is it you're this is the way you're going to feel for the rest of your life and but your mind is able to say no that's not true in stressful times again it can be anything you know someone cutting us off and we can lose it i'm pretty shalom there i'm not thankfully knock on wood that doesn't affect me i whatever it could be anything how do you find a way to not let it get to you as best as possible and let, let these triggers affect who you are today because you've put in the work yeah so for me again i don't think it was where i've quote unquote put on the work and now i'm a completely different person and these things don't affect me so i think it would be day-to-day -day situation to situation based on what's going on in my life how much sleep i've had how healthy i am um how well i've been treating myself you know what my coping mechanisms my healthy strategies if i've been leaning into them that's the combination but i do think even if i do get into you know you say you want to use someone cutting you off as an example what i definitely know i'm able to do now is catch myself quickly Right. So it's not that it's not going to happen, but when it happens, I recognize it. So this is that idea with meditation too. Right? Meditation is not about clearing your mind and sitting clear minded for 30 minutes about the practices, recognizing when your mind wanders and coming back and coming back and coming back over and over again. That's the actual practice of meditation. So I'm definitely very good at that, about being self-aware of like when I feel my, or feel myself or watch myself or becoming an observer, I guess, of myself and my thoughts and then catching myself and being able to then bring myself back to a better place. So it's not about not having, you know, poor thoughts or poor behaviors come up. It's more about how you then catch it, see it and react to it. Super interesting that, you know, when you struggle with anxiety, you put yourself out there, uh, speak to many people. Does that trigger you or is that something that you, you do because you want to face it as well? subconsciously like i need to get out there to overcome milestones of anxiety or is anxiety for you external or internal sorry um well i think ex things externally can cause it to occur internally um you know that's the difference between like internal locus of control versus external locus of control right do we feel like we have control and and agency over over our own life or are we feeling all the time that life is happening to us and for me there's you know maybe it's true for everybody but for me there's there's always this sort of sliding spectrum of like where i feel life is at at the moment sometimes i very much feel like life is happening to me but there are moments when i feel like I, you know i'm in more in control of my life um i think the more we speak to people the more we realize like oh i'm not the only one having the experience so it normalizes it like that's the main thing and then you hear about how other people cope cope with it 
So, and it, definitely facing fears and overcoming them is, is huge. And that becomes a muscle too. The more you do it, the more you realize like, oh, here's a fear. The only way that goes away is if I face it. You've seen some of the most traumatic things that again, we don't as civilians see as often, if not ever. How do you now turn it off? I mean, you can't unsee things. That's the thing. You know, nightmares. I, I, I would be f terrified. I, you know, I, not to get weird, but like when I do go to a funeral and I see the body, I, I get uncomfortable when I get home. And part of me kind of goes into weird places. Like, it's, it's scary for me. You know, it's not normal. So I think. How would you do that? You're, especially when you're trying to take someone out of an accident or, or all of these moments. Gosh, they're, they're, they're a human being. They're on you, you know? Yeah, I think, I think what, I, what I've come to realize now and I try and let other people in on to hopefully help them. Again, I think the old school would be to put a barrier between you and them to maybe dehumanize and shut off and push away that portion so you could quote unquote do your job. And what I've, what I've found is that by doing that, I think now you put yourself in confrontation with something. I'm afraid if I do this, this will come in and affect me. That's a fear-based approach, right? So if I connect too emotionally, I won't a, be able to do my job or I'll never be the same or I'll have all these issues. But now you're in confrontation with it and you're trying to push away something that you actually do need to think about and process. So I find the more that I, I am more naturally inclined to want to intimately connect mentally, you know, spiritually with the people that I'm helping. And I find by doing that, I actually find it helps me process the calls better. And even in those cases where people are, are dead and, and there's no chance of bringing them back, I've been trying to message to people that thinking about you're still there for them, you're still energetically, you can let them know in your mind or verbally, like, it's okay, I'm here with you now. You're not alone. Not like it's okay that, they're, that you're going to be able to fix the situation, but it's okay because we're here. Good people are with you. You're not alone. And it's that idea of walking people home, right? So if we can look at those calls and instead of pushing all that, the human side of all those calls away and putting us in this confrontation with, with something and being afraid of it, I think embracing it, not only are you feel, feel fulfilled with, filled with meaningfulness and purpose because that's why you got into the job because you want to actually help people but then you have this idea of this, this truth in your mind that I was there for these people in that moment, which is a real privilege. It's a privilege to be there in a moment where someone leaves the earth. And then you want to tie that even farther to if their family can't be there with them in that moment, they would want someone like me with their family in lieu of them being, yeah, in, in lieu of them being there with them and loving them and being loving to them and caring for them. It's not just patient care, it's patient caring then if I'm, I, and that's something that, you know, it's not me on a tool or me doing something technical. I'm there for them in lieu of their loved ones. So um, then again, so the tragedy, the, the graphicness, yes, that is still there. You still have to process that. It may take you some time to get over. But when I think back to calls, when I know I've been this way, 
mentally and you know emotionally I can look back at in a positive way to the call because how was I in that moment who was I to that person what did I bring to them and their family and now that call is also overlaid now with not only with the heart with the difficult parts but with this really positive part so it helps me come to peace with it Yeah, uh, I think some of the main things we've heard even since we were kids, right, that a healthy lifestyle is like the foundation. So we, you know, we, we know over and over and over again, the more you exercise and move and the better you, uh, you eat, the, you know, the better food you put in your body, uh, the better that is. So that's a really good foundation to start with. And then you, you do have to come to some sort of self-awareness and self-love and self-compassion. So I think you need to you know, not have an idea like, well, I have higher standards for myself and everyone else. Like I'm somehow, we're all the same. Right. Yeah. So, so treat yourself like you treat a friend or a loved one or, or your family member. Treat yourself that way. Be good to yourself. Be truthful and honest and transparent with yourself, but be good to yourself while you're doing it. And I think, yeah, finding whatever healthy coping mechanisms work. And if talk therapy is one of them, then I suggest, like I said, getting a counselor as soon as possible. And even if you feel like you have nothing to deal with in the moment, that's great. You can find one that you really like, just like you have a doctor and you got a mechanic and you've got all these experts you go to for all these other things. Why do you think you can handle the most complicated structure in the known universe, the human mind on your own? You think you can handle that? I think that's arrogant. So the more you can go to a professional to sort of lean in for some guidance on how to uh, approach that, I think the better and the sooner the better. And, I, and then, you know, you go in regularly and just like a chiropractor, if you get injured, you're going to go quite, quite often. And then as you're better, you go less, right? Just for maintenance. So I think you approach it exactly the same way. Um, and I think if you approach yourself in this way, I think you've got a really good chance of having a, a really, not only just a long career, but actually an enjoyable career. And then not only just, you know, a, a retirement at the end, but a really good retirement. Like you're going to have a, it's only going to make you a better person, right? Like if you can structure it with people, like it'll make you a better firefighter or maybe it'll, it'll draw them in, but it's all the same, right? I become a better person. I become a better first responder, I become a better first responder, I become a better person. I am just who I am. I just happen to be getting paid to do what I like to do. It's I would behave the same if I got fired tomorrow or, you know, I just happen to be able to go in and get paid for what I do. That's just a blessing. Husband, brother, son, doesn't matter. Is there resources out there that first responders can go to initially when they realize I'm struggling? So I'm struggling. Where do I start? Who do I go to? Yeah, I think initially, yeah, I think initially the first place you could go to is, you know, a close friend and someone you trust. And then a lot of fire departments do have peer support teams, which are people within their own department. And so if there's people on those teams that you trust, I think you go to them. And then above and beyond that, then most departments also offer an employee assistance program. So you can go to counselors and that's all covered as well. Um, and then we have, you know, there's, there's plenty of um, groups you know, like frontline forward and boots on the ground and, um, yeah. Great organization, by the way. Change. Yeah. So all these 
places are very, very accessible. So I think honestly, it's like anything. If you care enough about it, you'll be able to like if you really if you want to learn how to change the brakes in your car, you can go on YouTube and guess what? You'll figure it out because you care to. So if you really care, you can find a lot of resources, You're probably more resources than you could ever want to to or need and you can access them. It all just comes down to desire to want to do that. Information overload. That's where we live today. Yeah, so you're almost just filtering it as <laughs> to find which is the right one for you uh, versus trying to find a, your one place to go to. It's like, well, here's 30. Pick one, right? What's well, even like learning Riverside? <laughs> you YouTube it. One guy says these are the best settings. The other guy says this is the best settings. Yeah. Whatever works for me is what I'll use. It's all just you know playing with it and figuring it out. And honestly, your your personal work. Your mental health is exactly the same way. It's like just taking as much information as possible, put yourself out there to try as many different things as you possibly can. And eventually the more you're in that world, in that mindset, you're going to find what works for you. And then you can just keep doing it. So there's no magic formula for everybody, but there are basic things that you can do with variations within all those different things that it's going to be a combination that's going to work for you. Thanks for sharing so much light and positivity in a dark time especially because you faced it i faced it again different circumstances but darkness knows darkness and darkness knows light and we hope you know anybody that is struggling doesn't have to go through what we went through you know those extreme thoughts those levels of yeah life's not worth living i'm done yeah, the more we can minimize the effect of that or or the amount of times it might happen or yeah, help mitigate it, uh, the better. Um, but if it does, then hopefully they know that there's there's ways through. Looking back at that Scott that was walking towards the water that moment, if you knew a kid that was dealing with that today, what would you say to him or her? Yeah, I'd like them to just, you know, give it one more hour give it one more day or make one phone call or what's the worst that could happen, right? You go to the hospital or you reach out to somebody. If this is still what you decide to do, well, then maybe it's a decision for tomorrow or next week. But I think just to convince yourself to realize like, why not, why not one more hour, right? Why not just try this? What's it going to hurt? It can't get worse than it is right now. It can't get worse. You're in the worst spot you could possibly be in. It can't get worse if you try A, B, or C. So, Scott, were you talking to anyone at that time? Did you have peers that you had reached out to? Um, obviously, one person that you had in your life at the time was no longer there. So, was there mom and dad around to say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I need your help? Always. And I mean, in that moment when I turned around and started walking back, that's the first people I called is my parents and just let them know like, hey, like this to let you know, this is where I am. This is where I'm at. And this is where I'm going. I'm going to the hospital and this is where I'll be. Did anyone notice signs though of, hey, we, we realized, you know, we've seen you going down a dark path. Yeah, I think if friends and family know that we struggle, but I think it's as, as, as transparent, as honest that we, as we want to be with them, right? And I think sometimes we hold back thinking like, well, I don't want to, again, we think it's a burden or, you know, this is all on me and this is all my mistake or I deserve this, right? You start talking yourself into, um, you know, how this isn't 
anyone else's fault. It's all your fault. And it washes over you. And, uh, and then you, you know, you start to think that things will be, you, you convince yourself wrongly that things will be better for everybody if you're not around, which is a common theme that we hear from many people that are in that place. But we also have heard from people that have made attempts and come back and they realize at the moment they made the attempt that they regretted it. That self-dialogue, what do you say to yourself today uh, when you go down a dark path? How do you snap out of it or try your best to snap out of it? What do you do? Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly with what I was just saying is, is why not, why not just persevere? And sometimes I'll laugh, right? I'll laugh at how difficult and hard it feels. It's, it's, it seems ridiculous. It's just like, really again, like more, how much more? Right. And then I think also now, I mean, I have, like I did before, but I also have, I have two young daughters too. Right. So there's, there's a grounding there and a, and a responsibility. So I think responsibility and ownership of things helps us hold us, hold us accountable to what we should actually do. Is there still a stigma in your, in your workspace in regards to mental health and someone struggling? Yeah. You know what? I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll ever eliminate racism, sexism, ageism, stigma around mental health. You're never going to eliminate them. They'll always exist. But I think as a culture and even within the fire service, I think we can make that the minority view. So I think we, especially in my department specifically, I can't speak to other departments, but I think we have, we have shifted the culture so that we are now that we, we own the house. We own the house. So if the minority view people that still hold that mentality, if they want to come and join us anytime, they're welcome to. It's always open arms, but we own the house now. So that, that perception is just not welcome. That, that level of toxicity. Yeah, toxic. Yeah. yeah, we own the house now. It's our house. And it's a, good, it's a good house and we're going to defend it. Yeah. Good for you, man. And thanks mm-hmm. for your time today. I appreciate it. You too. It was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you. And I love your work and I love following you. And I, I'm glad you do what you do. And vice versa. I think, you know, we both have that similar perspective on life today. So it's it, anything you post, I'm like, ah, <laughs> it resonates. So. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I could just double up everything that you, you post. I could just <laughs> seriously, <laughs> but that's a great thing. That's great. It's great to be seen and heard and felt and aligned. So I love it. Thank you. If someone wants to listen to your podcast, follow you on social media, where can they go, Scott? Yeah, I mean, the IG page, uh, multiple calls at multiple calls podcast, and then the website's multiplecalls.squarespace.com. Uh, you can find it on SoundCloud, you can find it on Spotify, any of the major platforms, and any third party app. Um, and you can obviously look for that YouTube video, just put my name in and firefighter, and you'll find the YouTube video so you can watch that. It's, it's from you know 2009, but it's still relevant, I think. Um, yeah, and I've uh, like your podcast, I've guested on a few other ones. So I'm sure if you type my name in and podcast, a few of them will come up so you can listen to my views on other things you want. And, and I'm starting to do webinars now on, on a few lists I've made for, you know, fire service instructor, one for the senior firefighter, and then one on kind of what we're talking about tonight about the connected warrior. So they can look for those regularly promoted and then join in on that. If they want to be part of the conversation, I'd be more than happy to, to have them be a part of it. Thank you.